Welcome to the Mindful Surfer podcast with myself, Will Foster, and my co-host, Liam Morgan. Liam, what is the news? The news is that we are still alive after probably one of the coldest surfs in the last few years. It was pretty icy. We haven't had any snow, which I'm gutted about down here on this particular stretch of coast, but we felt like we had after that surf yesterday. Ooh. So cold. And it was a double. We did a double sesh, didn't we? Yeah, I got in it. 7.30, and it said on my phone that it felt apparently like yeah. minus nine wind chill. Now, for Americans, that'll be Fahrenheit. So Fahrenheit at minus nine would be like minus 30. Easily, yeah. 35? So. Yeah. Or oh, sub. Yeah. Sub 35. Towards the end of that really cold session in the morning, it's my feet. If my feet start to go, my feet were cold for the last 40 minutes, like properly cold, even in thick boots, six mil boots. Oh, you've got the, cold feet. You've got the um, the luxury Solites as well, haven't you? I've got the Solites. They are really good. We'll talk about this in a sec. And yeah, I was really finding it difficult to surf. I find surfing harder than any sport I've ever done in my life. I've played a lot of sports to a decent level. And surfing's easily the hardest of the lot for so many reasons. <laughs> Let's not make it any harder by surfing in freezing water in thick wetsuits. Let's take a tip of the hat for ourselves, shall we? For, for all the cold water surfers for, who are listening to this around the world, East Coast of America is yep. pretty freezing, isn't it? Yeah. The Nordics, where they surf, Scotland, Ireland, yep. UK. Canada. Canada, yeah. Oregon, Northern yep. California. So if you have to Even put Santa Cruz in. thick neoprene on with mm. gloves, boots, hats, just cover every extremity, fair play. Mm. Well done, cold water surfers. Cold water surfing. Not like these board short wearing dudes and dudettes. Living it's, the dream. <laughs> it's so much easier. I've gone from winters and then over to like Bali or Sri Lanka or Portugal or anywhere I've traveled. And oh my God, once you get into either a, ver- a much thinner wetsuit or a pair of boardies, yeah. it's just, it's wonderful. It's like going from protected sex to full condom, you name it, the oh works. Oh my God, he's in already. To bareback. It's like going bareback. It's the sensations are just wondrous. You feel everything. Switchboard is a light again. <laughs> <It's just, laughs> I don't even know why you do this. It's like just for me, it's just normal conversation. Oh, I'm teasing you. It's commitment, isn't it? You are suffering for your art. Yeah. But it just shows you. We talk in a way in serious levels about the grit required to improve and to grow. And that's come out of this book that I'm sort of each week sort of uh, keeping everybody updated with in terms of that. And the grit to get in conditions that you really don't want to sometimes. I mean, your body's, you're warm in bed, the coffee's on. Why on earth would you want to get out of that warm place, put on a cold, sometimes wet, wetsuit, the gloves, the boots, and all the sort of restrictive stuff that go with it, and throw yourself into, especially when it's like this at this time of year, gnarly, cold, you know, blown out, chop, Surfing has to be good, doesn't it, for you to do that? I mean, that mm. surely is both an advert for and a kind of a reason why surfing is almost this kind of fanatical pursuit because mm. to throw yourself into conditions that any inverted commas normal person would run away from just for the pursuit of a little bit of what? Flow? Pleasure? Mm. A turn? It's an advert for, I think, why surfing is such an amazing thing. For mind, body, and soul, because it takes so much to jump through the ring of ice, not fire, Mm. to go into that, to get even a small bit of enjoyment. It's got to be good. 
if you're in it for instant gratification, uh, <laughs> I hate to um, I hate to break it to you. If you're in the beginner realm or you're just thinking of surfing, I mean, it's not for the faint of heart. You got to have serious determination to get the joy from it. That's a sort, of, and it's a bizarre. I don't say paradox, but it's a sort of bizarre motivation that is sort of to have to be determined and have that sort of foresight and grit to get joy. Normally, we we just get joy doing something that we enjoy. But in surfing, it's very, very different. I always remember my buddy, because he doesn't surf, but he snowboards. And mm. he's like, wow, mate, how do you... I can go out. I'm on the snow and I'm surfing. <laughs> Up and down, carve, carve, carve all day long. And you might only get like two calves or a carve or <laughs> not even one, which happens a lot to me, in a whole surf. And so what is the obsession? I said, you know, thing is, the obsession is what you're pointing out. When you get a special moment in the surf, you do a snap or a carve or a cutback or something where you're just right on the edge between order and chaos and everything comes together and you have to read things perfectly and you get the timing right and you make that maneuver happen or you get that barrel or, or whatever happens. Because it is so temporary and so fleeting, you are capturing just the magic of surfing in that moment. And it's so fleeting, that's why it's so magical. If it was constant, the magic would disappear and the appeal of surfing would disappear too with it. But the thing is that happens is people look on Instagram and they see people surfing and go, oh, that looks fun. I'll go do that. And then get disheartened. And I want to be the person that says, don't get disheartened. Well, get disheartened because feel the feelings you need to feel. Notice that they're there. But just stick with it. Keep going. Because it will pay off. I'm preaching to the choir here. You, have you persevered. don't need to tell me. I'm sat here recording a podcast about surfing with you. But, but you pers- what I'm saying is you've persevered through that yeah. so much in the last few years. In yeah. onshore waves, cold waves, thick wetsuits, trying different yeah. boards. I mean, how many boards you tried? Listening to me go... <laughs> and it's always the ones to leave when Will starts screaming. When oh, I'm right. in the ocean with Liam and I start going, Go! Fucking go! Mate, go, go! Liam literally just goes, This is the one to leave. I am not catching that wave now because if Will gets that excited, it's I'm not having it. It's amazing how, and uh, this is why we persevere for this art form, sport, if you like, art, metaphor for pastime. life, pastime, escapism, that whole Jerry Lopez thing, backdoor into Zen and meditation. And really, it's about flow, isn't it? Because when you've gone through the, let's call it the difficult stuff to get to each level, each stage. You enter each different room in the house of surf, as we started talking about at the very beginning of this show. And you go, okay, so I'm in this place and it's difficult. And, you know, for example, yesterday it's cold and it's gnarly and my fingers are going numb because I'm in 25 quid set of gloves and boots. Mate, and you're so cheap so when it cheap comes to kick. For a man from, successful <laughs> as you, from my, you're cheap. Well, I'm from Yorkshire. We don't like to be separated <laughs> from our money. I'm, I'm so much poorer <laughs> and I'm spending phenomenal amounts on gear. That's, that's sort of like a strange... Strange paradox. But you go, even in yesterday's, you know, summed it up, even in yesterday's surf, and doing that kind of cold spell, you go, you're cold and you're touching the edge of your puddy's ability to kind of stay warm. And actually you're on the verge of like real discomfort. And then one wave and you forget. It's like it sort of really does remove you from that moment that you're in and put you in this kind of hyper, hyper sort of moment, this kind of real micro moment where all of the other stuff that you've been in your mind whinging about in your head you know cold fingers cold toes it's cold it's windy it's gnarly it's blown out it just disappears and you do Mm -hmm. like hit that it's a cliche but you hit that moment of silence and calm 
when you talk about going back and people listen to this at whatever level you're surfing at and wherever you surf, there are moments if you want to keep going where you go, oh, this is hard work and I'm not quite doing what I want to do and I've been battered by the waves. But the rewards are so great and the release of dopamine is so intense when it's going in the right direction that you can't help going back time and time again to try again, regardless of the conditions. And uh, it is unique in that respect as a sort of pursuit that you kind of want to search it out time and time again. And you almost forget about the bad times. You also need them to take you to that next level. It's all about the learning process and building that. resilience as well. I, yeah, I love that, dude. And it's funny because I have the piss taken out of me all the time about all kinds of things. Would yeah. You be, you be Where surprised? do you want me to start? Would you, yeah, would you be surprised about? <laughs> nothing, really? Am I that different? <laughs> no, no, I'm very, very easy to take the piss out. And quite rightly so. One of the things that I have the piss taken out of me for is surfing you know, quote unquote shit waves. Yeah. According to him or her, who thinks that it's, it's shit because it's on the shit wave police. The shit wave police. <laughs> the shit wave yeah. police. Because it's onshore or crazy or. Sir, step away just, from the surfboard. Yeah, exactly. And I can be in there having an amazing time because I've taken care of myself. I'm feeling lean. I'm feeling fit. I'm feeling athletic. I'm tuning in my board. I'm trying new fins, which I did the other day. And then there's all kinds of little flow mixtures going on that's allowing me to enter into that space. And I'm not then there and I'm not here then to say that the person who criticizes and naysays and takes the piss is wrong. Because if I do that, I'm entering into the same space that keeps them in their place of putting people and things into boxes. And that's not why I'm here. The reason why I'm here is to just embrace whatever stoke I can feel for myself. And that truly is about not giving a fuck what people think. But of course, at the same time, I do. It's a paradox, like everything, that I go around saying, I don't give a fuck what people think. Well, that's ridiculous because of course I do. I have an ego. So if someone criticizes or takes the piss, my ego, my thoughts, they, they come up. You feel offended in that way. But there's a very, very, very big difference between taking offense and doing something about it. Now, taking offense is the most human thing in the world. It's this personal word we use, but really that's just ego, right? The next bit is everything. Because if the next bit is deep breathing, watching the thoughts, noticing the trigger, it's not me. It's just just there. Just get triggered 100 times a day. We all <laughs> yeah. We all have what we'll call, what Eckhart Tolle calls rebirths. It, you know, <laughs> your past doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> it just rebirths in your mind. It pops back up. There's a, oh, there's that thought that I've had eight and a half billion times before about approval from other people. Oh, there it is. And just watch it. It's if the deep breathing is taking place and you're letting it pass, then you're entering into that new dimension, the inner dimension of peace and calm. And you just go and enjoy your life in that peaceful state without necessarily getting into this like, for fuck's sake, yeah. people are such dicks. They're so negative. We've had this before in car yeah. parks where people are in the car park and they're looking at it. Oh, it's shit, isn't it? And they look at you and I look back at them. I've had it a ton of times and I'm going, I'm frothing. I'm yeah. It's like two foot on short. <laughs> I want to get in on the foamy. I want to just, I want to see if I can improve my pop or maybe get a little floater. Or something will happen. A little bit of magic will happen. Well, no, it's never wasted. It's, it's never wasted. It's a bit like a conversation. You know, you always think, you know, there's a lot of school of thought, especially in the world of work sometimes where it's not worth speaking to these people or it's not worth, you know, reality kicks in sometimes. But often you'll find that sometimes the times you spend just having an authentic word, chat with someone, even when there's no intention of it going anywhere, it's just giving time, which is a valuable thing to people. 
eventually the universe comes back around and those things connect. There's a reason why you're having that conversation in the first place. And you might find out two years down the line why that is. And it's the same with waves, isn't it? You might go into a what the wave police will say is shit and you shouldn't be surfing, you shouldn't mm, be getting enjoyment the word, from that. Shouldn't. And you're like, well, hang on, that's my decision to make anyway. The moments that you have in those quote-unquote shit conditions are often the things that you, because you're practicing, you take into the bigger conditions or the days when it matters. And I'm sort of leaping ahead to something I was going to talk about here. Again, that's sort of nicked from this book, which is really good. You know, when we were talking a few weeks ago about you can only fight as well as you train. Well, there's this thing and those days are all about training, right? They're all about improvements and familiarity with different wave conditions and all of that stuff that if you're on any path of surfing, beginner or improver or advanced, you get in and you get something from it. And this guy is saying, you know, you don't rise to the level of your expectation. You fall to the level of your training. So that day when you stand and go, oh, it's a bit shit, I'm not getting in. Well, that might be a day when you, you just work something out. That when it isn't, in your mm. view, shit, mm. whatever that means, you've had the chance to practice it at a time when you're calm and you're able to sort of try it again and again and again without mm. the pressure of a big wave situation or a powerful wave situation or a blown out wave, whatever it might be. Those days all add up. It is training and effort and time in the bank mm. of surf improvement, speaking to myself on this, that I don't ever want to miss the opportunity for. Completely agree. If there's a wave... I want to be on it to try and see mm. what that teaches me. And it's interesting you mention all this about expectation because the internet has both aided and hindered yeah. our evolution as surfers in many ways. And what I'm relating to here is with surf forecasting, we now have something really interesting happen, which is the buildup of anticipation and expectation for something in the future. So you see the forecast on your phone, and we all do, 27 million surfers in the world apparently, approximately. And I can guarantee that 27 million of them are <laughs> clicking on the forecast all the time, all the time. What's it doing? What's it doing? And you're building up this repertoire of future expectation, future expectation, and it's healthy. It gets you to organize your life. Yeah. You've got to get the kids sorted. You've got to get the, you know, the work dialed in. You've got the email sent. You know, you've got to get your shit dialed in. And that's great. The internet's been great. Also has a massive downside. And this is where it relates for me to my experience as a surfer in the ocean and the happiness involved in it. It's that when the forecast gives me the least, but there's a little trickle coming in, I go in with no expectations. My mind has not created this future idea of it's going to be X or Y. So I go yeah. in just present like that. And I often have a really good surf. And so the point is the other way around, you have the five-star swell Hype and hype and hype. And sometimes, don't get me wrong, listen, sometimes like the guys, you know, Jamie O'Brien and, and all those boys lately who scored in on the North Shore of, of Oahu, that was a swell that was forecasted. It was going to be amazing and it was amazing and they had a great time. Those are anomalies because mostly what happens is we get this huge hype and of course it doesn't live up to the hype because um, firstly, you're going in with expectations. So anything just south of that. Yeah. And you get a drop in, in emotion. You just don't feel that buzz because you're like, oh, I thought it was going to be Well, here's the other thing this. with that. And that it's good to use those guys as an example. Because for the majority of us, regardless of what five-star swell it is, it's whether our ability or whether your ability matches the stars on the swell. And so almost the flip side of a surf forecast is to say, what's my forecast? What am I going to do? Unless you've spent the time, like those guys have as well, to be fair, 
Steph Gilmore and Riss Moore and Jamie O'Brien and Mikey February and all of these pro surfers that Instagram loves to sort of show you how well they're doing. They've gone through the hard yards as well of practicing on crappy waves, going on good waves. Their training meets the level of their expectation. It probably doesn't all the time, but their level of good is different to our level of good. What is good to each person is different. And what is progress to each person is different. So when you've got the sort of uh, wave police in a car park saying, it's a bit shit. Well, I always think, for what? What is it that you're going to do on that when it's 10% better, 20% better, 30% better, that is so much more connected to your enjoyment of the wave? You know, there's a fine sort of curve, if you like, that matches the surfer's ability with their own expectation of what they should and shouldn't be able to do, and then the wave conditions as well. Mm. And rarely those things seem to combine with the people who are the naysayers in the car park. Totally agree. If you can have an open mindset to all conditions and train your body and mind in such a way that enables you to embrace all conditions yeah, with the right kinds of boards, obviously really big long boards for tiny, tiny, and then gradually getting smaller boards as you go further upscale into larger ways. Although paradoxically, it then gets the boards get really big when it gets really, really large. But if you can embrace surf, I mean, obviously up to a level, because obviously everyone's got their safety level. But if you can embrace surf from one feet to 10, where you live or where you get to travel to, and just have the right equipment available and the right mindset, which is one that's just open, no expectation, I'm just going to enjoy what I enjoy. If you can have that there, you will get the most, I believe, out of your surfing lifestyle. When we come in with this thing of, well, it's got to be clean in order for me to have a good time. <laughs> well, listen, the funny thing is, is that we get to see this thing on Instagram that's clean surf. But actually, the reality is, again, you live in these places. You live in, you live in Hawaii. It's choppy all the time. You watch the Damio Viant vlog. If you actually watch it enough, Pipeline is sketchy and choppy and side winds and chop winds. And they get their special days, but then we only see the special days. You see? Yeah. That's really crucial because, again, I think it's really important to, as a surfer in this day and age, to really remain mindful that social media is not real. It's far from it. It's the best bits without the it's worst just bits. just the best bits. And surfing is a struggle. Like, you know, that's why it's such a good metaphor for life. And, you know, we get a lot of, and we're very grateful for everybody's feedback with the audience and the communities it grows to talk to us about this. And even some, a lot of the non-surfers that speak to us, they really like some of the metaphors for life. That's And, you know, it's old stuff. People have been sort of connecting the two since the beginning of surfing. It has that value to it and that vibe. But it's all about the appreciation for what we have. And the worst aspects of, of Instagram, and look, we're on there sort of hopefully giving you an authentic view of what we're doing in our surf journey and surf world. It presents this kind of perfection, as I say, this perfection thing that feeds the perfection fetish. It's so unreal. It lifts you out of the here and now. And lifted out of the here and now, you're in either past or present. And that creates all sorts of things about anxiety and whether you're good enough and all of that stuff. And whereas it's the opposite of real surfing, where it puts you into that. So I was talking about at the beginning. Why do we go in cold, horrible conditions? Is because for that moment, you're as far away from the fear of missing out or the fear of not being good enough that you could ever be. Because if you ride the wave, however you want to ride it, in the way that you want to ride it, on whatever board you want to ride it on, but you're grateful enough to get the joy out of that, then you're in bliss. You're in your own version of tropical clean wave paradise, aren't you? And it's hard to do. Don't get me wrong. Do you want a bit of Ernest Hemingway on that, in a way? Mate, give me some Hemingway. I fucking love Hemingway. We said this quite early on in our sort of, when we were putting stuff out on social media, we we're getting used to Instagram ourselves. I don't think he was a surfer. He sort of said something, going back to that kind of why it's good, in a quote of his. It wasn't related to surfing, but it really ties into what surfing's all about for me. Mm -hmm. And it's that one that says, you'll ache and you're going to love it. It will crush you and you're still going to love it, all of it. 
doesn't it sound lovely beyond belief? And really for me, I was like, oh, that's surfing, isn't it? Because there are times you get smashed and you're like, oh, what am I doing this for? But you come back time and time again. You come back time and time again. That's the joy. Love that, dude. Bit of Hemingway. Got it off Instagram. I haven't read any of his books. <laughs> And that's how we roll. Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you connect with what we do here at The Mindful Surfer, why not share it with your friends? Or go on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Because the more ratings we have, the more likely it is Liam and I can come back week after week and keep building this community of mindful surfers. Now, let's get back to the show. Table number two, Mindful Surfer, we just do a couple of minutes just to check in with the breathing and um, raise your awareness of your mind and body so that you can raise the stoke. That's how it works. So take a deep breath in through your nose. And breathe out. And take a deep breath in. And breathe out. Keep taking deep breaths. And now I want you to just tune in to what you can hear. Just really tune your senses into the the sounds going on right now. And now just tune into what you can see. Textures, colours, shapes, things that may be moving. Darker colours, lighter colours. See what you can see. And now let's take three deep breaths. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a deep breath in through your nose, and then you're going to hold your breath at the top, release the air out as slowly as possible. So take a deep breath in through your nose, hold your breath, breathe out really slowly. Okay, take a deep breath in through your nose, hold your breath, keep holding. And breathe out slowly. And last one, take a deep breath in through your nose. Hold your breath. Keep holding and breathe out really slowly. In my work as a personal trainer and mindfulness coach, it still humbles me to this day, having done this kind of work for 15 years, that the body has such an effect on the mind, but at the same time, the mind has such an effect on the body and that we sometimes treat them so separately. But if I feel in my body a bit anxious, it can make my mind go that way. It can nudge it in that direction. If my body feels calm, then it can. Not always, but it can. Most definitely most of the time does make my mind feel calm. The same way around is true. If my mind is dot, 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 then my body feels dot, dot, and so on and so forth. And um, every week, every day, I'm dealing with and managing through some form of mind to body, body to mind trigger and connection. And it just sort of goes in like a merry-go-round. And the thing is, is that you can never get rid of the merry-go-round. It's, there's this thing about like, you know, I'm trying to heal myself or I'm trying to better myself or I'm trying to become the best version of myself and all this kind of stuff. And it's fine. It's great. I think it's completely in the right place, except mostly it's ephemeral. There's nowhere to go. 
there's no one you can become and you can't better yourself. You're already the best you could be because internally there's this still presence. And this is what we try and teach on the show is this, there's this still presence that is the witness to the body and it's the witness to the mind too. It's really interesting because it's like, you know, what is that? And we discuss this all the time. What is the still presence that sees and feels and notices? Well, we don't know. There's no way of knowing what that is. It's completely mysterious, but it is there. And we can all know that it is there. It only takes a couple of moments just to watch your thinking. And then one must ask the question, who is doing the thinking? And you go, well, it's me. And then you say, who is you? Who is me? And you keep going and eventually you haven't got an answer. Like, who is that? Because it isn't who you are. <laughs> it's thoughts. There's an old um, philosophical saying from, uh, I don't know what century, but I'm trying to remember the philosopher, but it was the, the quote he came up with, a very famous quote at the time, and it was highly regarded as, as, as a sort of standalone quote, but it, and it was, I think, therefore I am. I think it was René Descartes. Thank you very much. And nothing could be further from the truth. My thinking is not who I am. And it's only when you watch your thinking, you then understand that you are the watcher, watching it, watching those thoughts. And I have thoughts about... Things like my heart health from an old trigger from nine years ago when I had indigestion that still come up today that make me feel on edge. But all I need to do every time it happens is be like the cat sitting outside the mouse hole. This is how I'm trying to describe what Eckhart Tolle uses, but it's this analogy of staying present with your mind, going through all these random triggers and insights and worries and all these random thoughts every day, 66,000 thoughts per day apparently we have is that all those thoughts can have this cat that sits outside the mouse hole and whoop, just as the mouse comes out there, you, you notice it. Because sometimes you'll go through periods in your day where you don't think at all and that's why we love surfing so much. Yeah. Because you're just, there you are. Yeah. Not always, but so often the time we're like, Chum. you're just, what is that place? We don't fucking know. We never will. You don't, <laughs> it's just magic. You're just there. And that's why... Drug taking, alcohol drinking, chocolate eating, sex, surfing, all these things. They cancel temporarily the mind. And that's why it's so, so appealing. It's just that reality comes back and we've all got to deal with that. But it doesn't have to be worrisome at all. It can be wonderful on land. It can be calm. It just requires a very, very, very disciplined practice of, of deep breathing, mainly, is what it is. Because I don't even like to say, oh, it's meditation now in a way. I just sort of, it's got too many connotations, yeah, the, mean, the word now. Yeah. Because deep breathing alone is going to, well, it might not make someone aware of their mind because that happens. Not everyone's going to wake up to their mind. I mean, shit, look around. People are walking down the high street with fucking masks on. Some people aren't going to wake up to their mind. They're going to be in fear and not notice it's just the thoughts. But you're going to have a lot of people who just by virtue of doing deep breathing, say, look, just do more deep breathing. They're going to go, oh, when I do deep breathing, something something happens. That's Something yeah. happens to my body and my mind. It's, it's like it all becomes... Like one. I'm afraid to say. I mean, we're stolen away from the here and now through the onward march of like what we would say is progress in society, you know, technology advancements and being able to look at what other people are doing on the other side of the world and kind of, you know, compare actually what it is, what it does. It's not new to anybody that's listened to this show before is that the comparison that comes from the modern world in which we live. What are they doing over there? How are we doing? This kind of, it's like the amplification of, is my life good enough compared to whoever else's? And in surfing, that's, you know, is my surfing good enough as a surfing life compared with Cole Rothman or Jamie O'Brien or whatever? There is no goodness in comparison of your own life with somebody else's. 
Even someone local. Even someone local. It robs you, to kind of nick that quote of yours, Will, is that of the joy that is present in your own life. Because you're sort of too busy on focused on what you don't have or what somebody else has rather than what you are and what you could be yourself. It's not a problem that we have all of the answers for because it's a societal thing, isn't it? And it starts mm. now at a very young age. And it's almost kind of foist upon the next generation that they embrace this stuff, which in fact is they are sort of devices that kind of, in its worst sense, breed this kind of sense of I'm not good enough because I'm not, mm. I'm not mm. doing what that person over there is doing. And as you said at the beginning of the show, the thin veneer that sits on, and we'd call it social media, because there are some very good technology products and services that do enhance people's lives. It could be diagnostic equipment, whatever it is, for medical problems. And we're not or talking surf forecasts. Surf forecast. We're not talking about design of products and services. We're talking about things like social media, which is a sort of very superficial layer of, is my life as good as this person's? Well, you have no idea mm. <laughs> from a tweet or a 30 second clip exactly what that person is going through in their day to day life. So, how can you know whether it's better or not? Better that you just focus on your own wave, so to speak, than on somebody else's. And yeah, it's all of that that lifts you out of the here and now. And bringing it back to surfing, what surfing then does is puts you right back in that zone. It does wash the, whether it washes the mind, I don't know what the right terminology is for it, but it certainly is a cleansing experience because you get a breather from that. You really get a moment of being able to sort of take yourself out of that. The thing that we're now trying to do to stitch together as part of this show is to say, how do you take that bit, that magic, and pull it out into the, the real world or the unreal world, mm. whichever one. I don't know which one's the real no, world. No, it's beautifully put. Well, people use that word like, I love to go surfing to escape. Yeah. And um, I'd love that to be replaced with, for most, if not all surfers, one day with, I'd love to go surfing to enter, you know? Mm. Because when you're harnessing calm on land through good practices, it's just the cherry on top. You get to enter, enter into that space. You're not escaping from anything anymore. You're just looking after your health. You're getting to bed on time. You're doing your deep breathing. Yeah. I was going to say meditation. You're doing your deep breathing regularly. You're doing your stretches, eating well, being kind, noticing your own triggers, managing yourself, looking at your behavior, staying stoked, staying positive, surrounding yourself with the right kinds of people. I could go on. But when you've got that online shit dialed, yeah. there's no escaping anymore. And that's a beautiful thing. If you go into that surfing environment without having to need it anymore, you're not leaning on it anymore. Yeah, so much. That's so liberating. Yeah. And I was using it, as I said, three or four episodes ago to escape. There's no question. Escape from work, escape from the city, escape from whatever you want to do. And loads of people who listen to this show will do the same thing. There's no question. But that room, if you like, that what you're talking about, let's call it a room. You enter the, the Zen room, your little sanctuary. It's always there. It's your room. You've got it. It's just that the surf, again, stealing the legend of Lopez there, Jerry Lopez, to say what surfing does is it gives you the back door into that room. And perhaps what you just need to take is it's the key for it. So maybe surfing, and I'm sure this has been talked about before, but you know, from the, the stuff that we're going through, Will, is the room of calm and the room of presence and the room of Zen. And yeah, people call it meditation. That word gets banded about so much now. You know, it's it's now used as a... And our word, mindful. Yeah, mindful. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> We're you, the fucking yeah, worst. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's used almost as a comparison tool. You kind of go, the room's there. It's within you. You can go into it any time. You just got to find the key. I think probably, speaking from personal experiences here, what surfing has given me back is an extra set of keys to get in there. <laughs> 
from time to time. I like that. Yeah. That's a nice one. Yeah. An extra set of keys. They've got That's my really spare cool. keys. I love that. To go into the car. The car. Oh, I love that. The spare keys. Yeah. We'll keep it on that. Segment number three, we talk about things we've been doing with our minds and bodies to raise a stoke. And I just want to bring this on from what Liam was already talking about to an insight I want to discuss on gratitude. Now, I love boards. I love, love I would boards. never have guessed. Are you, are you, had you really? And some would say in my circle more than my wife. And listen, I can understand. I can understand that it may seem like I stroke them and kiss them and provide them time. <laughs> you know, more, was, than, more than my wife. She was telling me she likes the boards more than you as well. Because they take you away. You go. They take me away. Oh, that's very good. That's very good. That's fucking true, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I do pay a lot of affection to them. Now, I also look at boards online, and this is this is really going into this kind of like this aspect of being in a relationship with them, and those poor other pieces of equipment are there on the side going, well, what about me? Aren't we providing enough satisfaction for you? Because I'm looking online going, oh, well, that board could do this, and this board could do that, and then you're watching reviews and et cetera, et cetera, and th- those reviews inevitably are being surfed in incredible waves and by incredible surfers, and it makes you go, oh, I could surf like that, and I could do this, 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 blah, blah, blah. It's very easy to forget what your boards are already doing. It's just like the lifestyle thing, comparison. But it's, I do this all the time. I, I've got this Lost Puddle Jumper, which is a phenomenal board. But obviously, like all boards, it has its downsides. There isn't a single board on the planet that's perfect. That's not a possibility. You have a board that's perfect for a certain occasion or a board that's good enough for a certain occasion. But all those occasions change all the time because it's surfing. You can't have a perfect board for X, Y, Z. It just has too many variables. As soon as you go thinner, narrower, pointier, you're going to catch fewer waves. But it will do epic turns if you're in powerful enough conditions. Now, you flip that onto like, you get like a fish type outline. You will get loads more waves. You'll get loads more down the line speed. But when you want to do something high and tight off the pocket, you can't do it. I do this all the time with my puddle jumper. It's a great outline. It's a phenomenal board. It catches tons of waves. It can do loads of tricks and turns. It's, it's epic. It's the best small wave board I've ever had. And yet I'm like, well, you know, oh, how much is it for the high performance version? And that could surf in those ways a bit better. And maybe it would do this. And and that's fine. It, it, we've talked about this many, many times. There's a duality and everything. That's a good thing. How are you going to keep advancing your surfing if you don't look to progress onto different boards? That's really cool. But beware of the loss of stoke that can set in when you start to become bored by your equipment. Yeah. Because yeah. boredom is just a self-created idea in your little head. Whereas actually, if you wake up out of it, embrace the board like you've never ridden it before, like it's born again, like it's born again, then you're still going to stay stoked. It is boredom. It's the board dominating you. If you're... Oh, nice. Yeah, do you like that? Hey, you're good at that. Hey, everybody has to face up to this sometimes. And I have to say, love them as we do. A lot of the board manufacturers and the board shops of the world, they're as guilty of this. Why not? That's their business. But they stoke this fire that says one month, this is the board for everybody, this level to this level, this is the best board you can buy. Great. Big rush to get that board. Next month on, now for the new, you know, the lost Uber driver. Boom, boom, boom. So you're on to the next one. And it is like, well, hang on a minute. Mm -hmm. Whoever's bought that board hasn't got the grips of, because they certainly don't surf that frequently, probably. And they haven't surfed it enough to work out whether they now need a new board. So we do a big disservice as well. Well, I say we, 
the surf industry, sometimes there's a big disservice, to the people who are trying to progress because it kind of is foisting different boards on them all the time and mixed messages. And as we said, without any footage of here is somebody who's got two years experience surfing these waves, surfing this board. Here is somebody who's got four years experience of surfing these waves on this board. And this is the different things it can do. Much more accurate. Yeah. And like you said, it's not the surfboard quite frequently when you're on the curve of learning, particularly. Once you get to a certain level, of course, but it's often you, not the board, that needs to work on certain things before you then work on the board. But So, you know, you and I love testing boards and riding different boards, and it definitely improves your surfing to surf different things. It's combining that with the right time to do it rather than blaming the board first and foremost for the reason you can't do a roundhouse cutback or the reason you can't, you know, it's getting the basics right. I always liken it to cycling in that respect because it's kind of gone that way, hasn't it? Like cycling mm. has gone so expert. You could thousands of pounds on a bike that doesn't have an engine in it. It's beyond my comprehension. And the same with boards, you know, the prices go up and up and up and up and you've got the Rob Machado and it's woven from New Zealand lamb's wool and it's sort of <laughs> whatever it does. Keeps Rob Machado in a lot of money while he pretends that he's living this kind of hipster life with no cash. In. You know, he's that kind of vibe. It's true. But you're like, well, hang on a minute. What is it actually doing for your surfing mm. as a sort of mm. average Joe and mm. or Jane and surfing average waves around the world? Probably not a lot. So why would you spend 850 quid on a board when you could probably get a locally made one for sort of three, 400 quid and get the shaper who knows your waves to help shape you the board that will then improve your surfing because yeah. you're surfing that board over and over again. Yeah, it's true. I was just going to say, we're not stupid. We are stupid. Yeah. We are stupid. Oh, we're stupid, all right. We're fucking stupid as surfers. We all get lured in. Everybody gets lured in by the marketing. And so they should because it's good marketing. It's clever and it's smart and it's really enjoyable to digest. And it gets you fired up. It gets you fired up because you start believing that's what you're going to be doing on a wave. And that's what is going to be happening. And there's 50% of that element is truth. Because, of course, there will be a new board for you out there that could do wonders for your surfing. So keep that journey alive. And keep it alive to the day you die if you can afford it. Boards, boards, boards. We love boards. I could have another three or four right now. I could reel them off the top of my head right now. Then the remaining 50%, like all dualities, there's the other side, the shadow if you don't look at yourself in the mirror and kind of, we're going to come on to this in a second anyway, but you're surfing weaknesses in terms of food and training and mindset and ability and humility and all those things, then the board ain't going to do fuck all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Newport ain't going to do, ain't going to change the surfer. Yeah. That's the, for sure. Yeah. It's going to change how you paddle it a little bit, but that's, and how you stand on it a little bit, but the surfer's the surfer. The surfer stands on the board. If they don't know how to work a rail and they haven't got the strength in the legs and they haven't got the ability and the courage and the timing and it, that's the balance. It's like this, same on the cycling analogy that I used. You could have somebody, and I've told, one of my mates has done this, and he told me the story, and I'll keep his name out of it. It's Nick. So uh, <laughs> 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 he was like, oh, the bike, the bike, the bike, the bike. And he had to eventually say, hang on a minute. It's not the bike. It's me. Because yeah. I can tell you that even a, a non-drugged up to the eyeballs, Lance Armstrong, could get to the top of one of the calls on the Tour de France on probably like a child's shopping bike, yep. you know, the rally shopper. Yep. And I've seen, and uh, I've got some dear friends who I might have been to the pub with, oh, if you put them on the best carbon fibre frame, they would struggle to get to the supermarket on it. We ask ourselves this question, is it me or is it the tool? There you go. Dude, have you got anything you want to share? Mind, body. A couple of things I might save to the surf media insight. Mm. A bit about weaknesses, probably. I think this was yep. sort, of, sort of to feed into yep. this. It's a mind-body thing that comes into play. And um, again, just some, from some of the reading, is that when we look to improve, and as I kind of, you know, talking about boards and so on, and it not being the board, it being me, 
mm. when I was came back to surfing and you know thought oh, I've been surfing you go surfing with Will and you think hang on a minute no I'm just going down the line I'm not doing the things that I really want to do it takes quite a lot to sort of almost drop your list of weaknesses and the weakness can be anything from uh, the physical weakness of why can't I do that well like I said last week if you can't do it on land you can't do it in the water if your legs are not strong enough to do a maneuver that takes you into a cutback or the carve you want to do on the wave if you've not got the functional strength to do it you can't do it it's about how do you best work on your weaknesses but one of the mind challenges for me of doing that when I was kind of going back to sort of almost saying well I'm a beginner then really aren't I I'm a surfer no no I'm a beginner surfer because I'm beginning to learn the mechanics of surfing how I want to surf I was getting the joy out of it don't get me wrong for many many years for like 20 years what I wasn't doing is improving and growing and pushing through the pain to get to the next level and some of that was availability of training materials because of the time that I was learning to surf back in the day and the other stuff was about actually just admitting to yourself and then rebuilding and once you sort of say, well, actually, I'm weak here because I sit behind a desk, so I need to strengthen glute. It could be a physical strengthening. I need to strengthen glutes. I also need to challenge my maybe ego weakness because I'm going to tell myself, yes, you're surfing. That's cool. But you're not surfing as you want to surf. So suck it up. Embrace the pain of telling yourself the reality of how you surf and what it is on a sort of technical level. And that's painful. It's really painful. But I can honestly say that once you've been through that challenge to your ego uh, path because you've got to really your ego doesn't want to hear this shit but it needs to sometimes and once you've gone past that your ego being offended by the reality of your situation you can start to rebuild and if you work on those weaknesses functional uh, emotional all of the things you need to do to improve it pays huge dividends mm. really does and it could be as simple as strengthening your ankles <laughs> you know totally agree. Yeah. my completely random and totally self-invented epidemiological socio-psychological study into human surfers not that there's dog surfers although that's that's a damn lie there are dog surfers so let's talk about human surfers has been that those who i feel now i know i'm putting an eye like a full bracket capital bold italic you name it i this is my opinion not saying i'm right the surfers who have the lowest awareness of their ego have progressed the least it's totally my interpretation. And those who are the other way around have progressed the most. And it's definitely because as someone who is aware of their ego, aware of those thoughts, is aware of them. And if they're aware of them, they're aware of the illusion. And then once the illusion's passed, the truth comes up. It's like a sort of lovely plant. It's allowed to grow. And it, as it comes up, the plant of growth and humility says, well, of course I'm shit. Like, <laughs> what's the, when was I supposed to, like, who has it? Oh, learns to walk, you know. Oh, there you go. There's, there's little Johnny. He's walking now. Oh, that's done. That's like, what the... <laughs> Everyone fucks up. So if you want to get better at something, you better start fucking up and get comfortable with that. And like you said, initially painful, but once you get used to that, it starts to become actually fun, the part of that journey. It's all yep. part of the joy. That's totally just my interpretation. Not to say that I'm right and it's true. It's just been how I've seen things. But I think it is. I mean, I, you know, you speak to, and I've done this a few times, you speak to probably in this guy as well, actually. You speak to either board rental places in, in the Canaries or in Bali. You speak to surf school guys in Portugal, say. And they will always say that everybody turns up. And I have to say some of those Brits are the worst for this. But, you know, it's people around the world. And I've got a great story that I'll share another time about a French guy at a surf school. What we tend to do, and it's usually blokes as well. Like, sorry, chaps. No, it's mostly uh, men. No, it's- they go up and they say to them, I want to buy, I want to rent that board. I want to go out on the board. And it's pumping as well. Uh, okay, cool. What, tell them about you. I, I surf. Yeah, okay. How often do you surf? Well, every summer. <laughs> you know, that kind of. Classic. And they want to take out the 
the board that looks cool as into waves that well, I'm thinking, well, I probably wouldn't go out in those today. Each of those guys who run those places will tell you that the hardest thing to do is tell somebody that they're not a surfer when they've come in and they think they are. And it's because the ego doesn't want to hear it. So they have to go and learn for themselves. In fact, I will tell the fact that I was with these Portuguese guys at the surf school and there's a French guy there and he wanted to take out this Almeric sort of 6-0 or something. And uh, the guy that runs the school said, oh, no, no, you get to surf first. Let's get you assessed first. No, no, I want to go. He does it all the time. Gave him the old board and we went out for a surf. And this guy was flailing around, couldn't catch anything. And then the next day he said, do you want to take out the 8 for me? <laughs> uh, yeah, okay then. There's a difference, isn't there, between what your ego thinks you can do and what you can actually do. And, and it's only do. in being honest about the, what you can actually do where you'll ever get any sense of real progression. Mm, so true. It's dude. painful. I had a guy similarly in the ocean a few months ago who took a real serious wipeout and ball went up, side down, you name it. He was in the trough, bang, bang, bang. It was a decent wipeout. There's only about one in 20 wipeouts where I kind of wait for the surf to pop up and then have a little... Because I'm caring and I actually care about people. And I just sort of shout across, you okay, dude? And his immediate, just boom, defensive reply was, I've surfed in Cornwall. Like it was this, and I was just like, oh, yeah. I was just seeing if you're okay. Um, <laughs> cool. And you know when you've got a surfer who's going to progress quickly because they might turn back and go, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, no, no, I'm all right. I'm okay. Because it's, it's humility. Humility is um, that you've got nothing to defend. What are you defending? It's just your ego. That's not even real. So why defend it? It's a big shield, isn't it? The yeah, surf shield. Yeah, it is. It tries to bat it back. Yeah. Surf media insight, dude. You want to share something here? Come on. few things. I, I mean, can feel the passion. Firstly, I don't I mean, know. Liam's going to talk about stand-up paddlers, I expect. <laughs> well, I'm going to start with that. because I... We've probably got a load of stand-up paddler fans who each time go, oh, here we go. Yeah, Stand up paddle bashing. Dick, Here we go. Yeah, don't be a dick on your podcast is what they're saying. Yeah, don't be a uh, dick. I am going to start with this. And not just stand up, a foil stand up paddler. Did yeah. you see this on Kook Slams? Yeah, you sent Holy, it. I think I wake up in the night thinking about it. It looked like Paul Zeth on a summer's day. <laughs> it was that kind of crowd, right? Yep. There's people on boards struggling to paddle out. There's a guy on a longboard with a dog on the front, and the dog's yep. wearing a life jacket, if you haven't seen this. I'll, we'll put it a link to the show. The dog's wearing a life jacket. Alongside him, I don't know if they're having an argument about whose priority wave it was, he's a guy who looks quite out of shape on a foil, and he's holding a paddle in his hand. And he's talking to the guy, or having an argument with the guy with the dog, as they're riding kind of along this wave, right into the path of some guy who doesn't know what he's doing paddling out. It is... Almost a scene from a surf horror film or a safety video to say, what's wrong with this picture? How the surfer that is in the way of this foil doesn't have his head removed from the situation is a miracle. So that's my surf media insight is please go and have a look at that. And if you want to know what's wrong with somebody on a foil with a paddle on a busy beach, there it is. I don't think foilers should be surfing in busy lineups full stop. So true. Especially if you don't know what you're doing, but this it's horrific. I so agree. It's interesting with board sports, just to compare surfing with snowboarding and skating and how it relates to this. Because I think with surfing, we have an expectation now, <laughs> there's a dangerous word, for it to be, generally speaking, pretty safe. Now, I know we're in the ocean, which could be like a life and death scenario, but all the in-betweeny bits of all the niggles of bumps and scrapes and smacks and cuts and broken bones and dot, 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 aren't something that feature in the surfing life. We either... Like, cop it and fucking just die. <laughs> or we won't get injured, like, kind of ever. That's sort of how surfing is. Very extreme in that way. 
but generally means it's very, very safe. You'll be okay because it's the ocean. It's soft. But with snow sports, expectations are very different. There's probably, you could look at stats, 80% more injuries and certainly yeah. more severe ones. Way, way more severe. Skating, don't even get me started. Jeez, that's an insane sport. So the thing is, I think when someone like that guy comes in with a foil, which is like, as my brother described, is like a bag of knives. Yeah. I once said to him, I said, George, because he foils. I was like, what's it like when you kind of wipe out? Like, what the? He's like, bag of knives. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, bag of knives. Anyway, is that because we don't have to encounter such dangerous situations and so when you do then suddenly have that and the safety zone gets really shifted about it pisses everyone off understandably because you just think well dude just go down the beach yeah. go somewhere else and just think of other people yeah it's <laughs> uh, horrific but then there's a, some good stuff as well so shall i move on to the good stuff yeah where the pros are i'm going to put this in the notes because it's really helping me help me these guys are good. They're called Ombi Surf. Mm-hmm. I think it's Clayton Nimba. I forget. He's always forget his surname. A South African guy. Looks scary like Jamie O'Brien. I think they used to be called Amanzi Surf, but mm-hmm. it's uh, Ombi Surf now. Again, I'll stick this in the Surf Media Insight. Is that uh, Tom Curran did a, a recent film uh, called Free Scrubber, and just like a crazy, fun, frivolous surf movie with with Tom in there surfing. Who has got this sort of super? As we know, if you're into surfing, Tom Curran is a surf legend whose style is just epically relaxed and he it makes like all the greats makes something very difficult look very easy but clayton breaks down analysis of why he's so good in this because you know as a technical analysis from the film so having watched the film and then having watched this i thought it was fascinating and go check it out because it's just in terms of where to sit in the power pocket how he uses his arms how he accelerates how he slows down how he takes the right waves but for me and this is kind of a reef break i think maybe mexico it's got me thinking about where to surf the power pocket more. So where the sort of flow of the wave is at its most powerful. And the great thing about Tom in this, uh, Tom Curran in this movie, and who wouldn't want to be Tom Curran when they grow up, is the way that he sits very comfortably and then very relaxed in a place that a lot of people, me, I get very nervous the closer I am sometimes to that foam ball. And it's really only now I'm trying to get more and more comfortable with sitting as close to that sort of power pocket as I can, rather than doing what a lot of us do is race away from the Mm, wave. mm -hmm. And so the breakdown of analysis from this really interesting film as well, it's crazy, crazy movie. I've really enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. We'll stick it in the show notes. It's always good to bring up these clips to interesting stuff in the surf because there's so much drivel in as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just footage and there's no insight or thrashing music. It's just all a bit, oh, although some people love that and that's fine. I'm not, not here to judge, but it's nice that we can be that place, hopefully, yeah. that if you also agree with us that you found a good clip, then it's it's nice to share these things because there's so much out there. Yeah. I would mention Seb Smarts, who's a Cornish surfer. Yeah. He's a bit of a wild fella and uh, really kind of got a roguish charm about him and a really likable bloke. Stab have done a session with him and it's really, really good because it's Saw nice that. to see the Brits doing some good stuff because we've got some great surfers in across here in Ireland, some world-class surfers, and it's nice to get them more and more you know, we see a lot of the Americans and a lot of the Aussies, but it'd be great to see local surfers celebrated for doing all of the hard work in cold water and putting the hours in and the yards in and stuff that's not very glamorous. Well said, my man. Well said. Guys, thanks for joining us. See you next week. See you next week. Ciao.